We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogis, and I'm on our communications team here at Rolling Hills. We're continuing in our series, Christmas is Supporting Cast, and today our focus is on the story of Simeon. Simeon's story may not be one that we hear most often around this time of year, but his is one of patience, faithfulness, and righteousness. He trusted God and waited for the promised Messiah to come, and he remained faithful in the waiting. There's so much to learn about Simeon's life, and we can't wait to jump into God's Word with you. Thanks for being here. Well, I've always uh, been somewhat uh, intrigued by the concept of a bucket list. I don't know if you guys are bucket list people. If you kind of make up these lists of things that you, uh, that you want to accomplish before, uh, before you die. Now, by definition, if you've never heard that phrase before, if you have no familiarity with that, a bucket list is simply a list of things that you create that you want to accomplish, things that you want to do, things that you want to see happen, so to speak, here in this lifetime. Maybe you have one of those lists yourselves. And so I thought I would do some research for you and tell you what are the top 10 bucket list items that people have. And so this comes directly from bucketlist.net. It's a real website. So if you want to compare and see if I'm actually telling you this correctly, go check it out yourself sometime. But these are the top 10 bucket list items that people say they want to accomplish before they die. Number 10 is visit the Grand Canyon. Number nine, buy a house. Number eight, run a marathon. Number seven, go scuba diving. How are you guys doing so far? Are you a life well lived? Okay, some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Uh, number six, get married. Number five, swim with the dolphins. Number four, go on a cruise. Number three, get a tattoo. Now, if you play your cards right, five, four, and three could all happen in one weekend, okay? Uh, so, I mean, I... For just a couple hundred dollars, five, four, and three, you could get those knocked out right now. Uh, number two is skydiving. People want to go skydiving, and the number one bucket list item that's listed on this website is to see the northern lights uh, before you die. Now, why are all of these things important to us? Why do we kind of come up with these lists of things that we want to accomplish? I think that we put together a list like this because we want to get to the end of our life and say, I had a life well lived. I was accomplished. I was able to do some things that I never thought I could do. And to be quite honest, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So if you have a bucket list at home, you don't have to leave this sermon and go home and shred it or anything like that at all. That's not the takeaway point today. My question to you, though, is do you have the right things on your list? Because a lot of us have things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to see happen in our life. The more important question, the more pressing question is, are my top 10 the right things? Or are they evidenced by things that I just want to accomplish for my plans and for my purposes? Or if I allowed God to kind of give me that list of the things that I want to accomplish, how would it look different, so to speak? Now, we're in this second week of this series called the, uh, the, ca the Characters, the Supporting Cast, so to speak. And what you're going to see this morning is one of the lesser-known figures in the story of Christmas, one of the lesser-known figures in the early days of Jesus's life. But what you will see, not only today, but next week, the character that we're looking at as well, is some incredible insight into what it means to have a life well-lived. And so as we lead into this Christmas season, I hope and pray that God will meet you here and remind you that He is here and that He has an incredible plan plan for your life. Know that I'm so thankful that you are here with us, and I want to just ask you to open up your heart to God's Word and say, God, what is it that you want to teach me today as I seek to have this encounter with you to learn what it means to live the life that you have called me to live? And so if you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. If you have that mobile device, you can hop online 
and follow along with us through the Bible app. But Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And I want to read you the entire 13 verses, and then we'll kind of come back and start unpacking some of these verses. So let's start in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. So when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, this is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice and keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So what do we see here in these 13 verses? The first thing that you see is when is this happening? This story is happening after the birth of Jesus. And that just threw some of you guys for a loop because you're like, it's three weeks till Christmas. Why are we not talking about what's leading up to Christmas? Well, this is a snapshot into the first kind of 40 days of Jesus's earthly life. And so most biblical scholars would say that Jesus was about 40 days old at this particular point in time. And what Mary and Joseph are doing is they are bringing Jesus to the temple as outlined in Jewish law. Jesus was a Jewish boy, and as as by Jewish law, Exodus chapter 13 is where you can go read this. They were required to bring him to the temple and to dedicate him to God. Now, they were also required to bring an offering, a pair of birds, and that's, that's outlined in the book of Leviticus. And so when they enter the temple, they meet today's supporting cast member. They meet this guy named Simeon. And so what do we know about Simeon? Well, let's go look at the Bible, everything that we find about Simeon. This is it, okay? There's nothing else. (laughs) Simeon's got these 13 verses, and that is all. There is no further uh, mention of Simeon. You don't have a book of the Bible named after him. If I were to pass a microphone around and say, share with me your favorite Bible character, nobody is saying Simeon. He's just kind of this lesser known character. But what do we know about him in these 13 verses? What we know about him is extremely significant. The first thing that we see is that Simeon was righteous. In addition to that, he was devout. Now, I think this is pretty cool, but he actually got to hold baby Jesus. I mean, how awesome is that? He was righteous, devout. He got to hold the Christ child. He trusted God, we're told. He proclaimed some hugely significant things about the purpose of Jesus. And at some point shortly thereafter, he dies, never to be mentioned again, besides this little snapshot of his life. So with that context, let's go back and read the first four verses again and start listening for some of this insight about what's significant about this character. Back to verse 22. So when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So again, in obedience to God, in obedience to the Jewish law, Mary and Joseph, they bring the Christ child to the temple to be dedicated. Now, this was required by law, but it was also an opportunity for Mary and Joseph to acknowledge that this gift that God had given them did not belong to them. This was God's child. And so that's what this symbol of dedication was all about. We, in fact, continue to do this in our church after our service today. You picked the right service to come to because at the end of our service today, we're going to have a family dedication. A family here in our church that says we want to dedicate our children to the Lord, and we do it for the same reason that it was happening back then. Now, we don't require people to bring two pigeons to sacrifice up here on the stage um, anymore, but it's a decision that a parent is making, that a family is making to say, we want to raise our children to know and love Jesus. This is not the salvation experience of those children. It's a decision that they make and that we pray that they make at some point in their life. It is a commitment, though, to say, we will do everything that we can to dedicate and raise this child to know and love Jesus Christ. And so Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus into the temple, and Simeon is awaiting them. He is there, and there's three words in the Bible that we see that used to describe Simeon. He was righteous, he was devout, and he was patient. He was righteous, he was devout, and he was patient. Look back at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or he was patient. So you look at the words righteous and devout, and if you're anything like me, you think, well, those are the same word, right? Those are just synonyms for the same concept. Righteous and devout, they seem really, really similar. But I thought if I did a little bit of a word study, maybe we could find something that was interesting there, and sure enough, there's some amazing truth here. Because as similar as the words are, they also have quite a different meaning. Because that word righteous in the Greek, if you go back to the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, it's translated over to English now. And with any translation, sometimes things get lost in translation, so to speak. And the word righteous means dikaios. And it's used many times in the New Testament. And simply what it means is upright. It means keeping the commands of God. And so it's a very active Word. It means that I'm keeping the commands of God. So to be righteous means that I'm outwardly keeping those commands of God. But then you look at the word devout, and it's eulabes. And this is a much, much more rare word. It's only used four times in the New Testament. And what does it mean? It means pious, circumspect, God-fearing, a reflection of someone who personally reveres God. And they're still very similar words, but they're just different enough to give you some insight into how Simeon was living his life. His commitment to be righteous meant that outwardly he was keeping the commands of God. But when it says he is devout, it means that there was an inner compass of piety and reverence in his life. Circumspect, keeping the things of God central. So outwardly he's righteous and inwardly he's devout outwardly righteous and inwardly devout. And some of you are saying, I don't know, Pastor Jason, if there's really any differences in that, but what can we take away from this? See, this is what you can take away from it. You see it up here on your screen. If you are willing to outwardly live out the teachings of Jesus while inwardly growing in holiness, you will not miss what God wants to accomplish in your life. It's a dynamic duo. If you are willing to outwardly 
live out the teachings of Jesus while inwardly growing in holiness, you will not miss what God wants to accomplish through you. It's not enough just to be one or the other. Let me give you an example. There's lots of people in the world right now that are outwardly righteous, but there's nothing on the inside. Jesus had a lot to say about those people. Enter the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They were the most righteous group of people on the earth, but Jesus did not say to model their lives. He said, live exactly the opposite of them. Why? Because they were outwardly righteous, but there was nothing devout on the inside. There's another group of people who are very devout on the inside, and they don't do anything with their faith journey. There's no outward righteousness. That's the group of people that I like to call spiritually fat. We're just spiritually obese. We have everything pouring into us, but there's no outflow. There's no ministry. There's no service. There's no helping anyone else living out the commands of Jesus. And the Bible gives us some pretty strict warnings about only living one or the other, because it really takes both to be at a place to be used by God. And Simeon had both. I would venture to say that there's somebody in this room right now that at some point in your life, maybe even currently, you have been hurt by the church or you've been hurt by another follower of Jesus Christ. And I would venture to say that the reason that you have been hurt is because someone has had a very outward expression of um, change and inward, it has not matched up with what you've seen outward. If you kind of play that out, we call that hypocrisy. It's the natural kind of conclusion of outward without the inward. And you've been frustrated. You've been hurt by that. There's equally another group of people that you might be frustrated by the church because you see people who are very devout inwardly, but they don't seem to care about anything outwardly. And that frustrates you. And so it's either we're, we're frustrated by the hypocrisy or we're frustrated by people who aren't living according to that calling that Jesus gives us. And it's why the Bible says that both are important. And Simeon had both. And if I'm willing to outwardly live the teachings of Jesus while inwardly growing and being devout, I will not miss what God wants to accomplish in and through me. Now, in addition to that, he was patient. He was righteous, he was devout, but he was also really, really patient. Now, we're not sure how long Simeon waited. We don't get the details. The guy only gets 13 verses, so we don't get all the backstory. We don't know how long he is waiting, but he's in a season of waiting. He's waiting for the hope of Israel. He's expecting God to move because it had been promised already. This was prophesied way back in the Old Testament that Jesus was going to come. So this wasn't new news for people, but not everybody was expecting it like Simeon was. See, the rest of the crowd was not expecting Jesus to come as a helpless Christ child. What were they expecting? They were expecting a warrior. And Simeon, in his humility, was expecting Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecy. So he was righteous, he was devout, but he was also patient. And for a lot of us, I think this is where things start to go off the rails. Because we want God to show up in a full-scale 32-step plan, and we wanted that plan yesterday. And God says to us, and I repeat, <laughs> I do not have to work on your timeline. I don't have to work according to your timeline. I hold all time. I'm the one that's holding the plan together. So I accomplish what I want to accomplish when I want to accomplish it. That's what God says to us. And Simeon had the patience to wait. But it wasn't just patience. He also had expectancy. And again, it's a beautiful combination when I can be patient and I can wait, but I can also expect what God is going to do. I think about an expectant mother. And those of you in the room that have had children, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. 
It's not unlike an expectant mother. As uncomfortable as that mom is, she wants that baby to come at the right time. Now, once that baby's full term, it's like, come on, you know. But right, I mean, you moms in the room, you're shaking your head. You know what I mean. As uncomfortable as you are, you don't want that baby to come at the wrong time. You're patient, but you're expectant. And there's something about when we live with patience and we couple that with expectancy that God shows up and does something so special. I think a lot of us struggle with waiting. I think even more of us struggle with expectancy of just saying, God, what is it that you want to do? How about you when you wake up in the morning? Do you have an expectation that God is going to show up and do something incredible that day? How about with prayer? When you pray, you are in direct communion with the God of the universe who holds the stars in place. Do you expect God to hear those prayers, or are they just kind of words that you ramble? How about God's word? This is the living word of God, and when I read it, I meet him there. Do I expect him to give me peace and hope in those things that I'm dealing with in life? How about when you come into this place of worship? Do you come into these doors of a church or Rolling Hills Community Church or any church with an attitude of, I wonder what they're going to do to impress me today? Or I wonder how awesome the music is going to be today. Or I wonder how funny the pastor's stories are going to be today. Or do you come in with an expectation that the holy, sovereign God of the universe is here and he wants to meet you here? That when you worship, he hears those cries. When you pray, he hears those requests of your heart. See, if you come in with expectancy, you don't look around and just see faces, but you look around and you see faces of people that God is working in their lives. And perhaps he wants to use you to speak into someone's life, to pray for someone else, to encourage someone else. So Simeon, he got it. He was devout. He was righteous, but he was also patient with a sense of expectation. Now, Simeon, of course, answered this question well, but it's a question that I pose to myself and I want to pose to you as well. How about us? Look up here on the screen. Do you expect Jesus to show up or are you surprised when he shows up? Do you expect Jesus to show up or are you all of a sudden just kind of shocked? Wow, I can't believe that Jesus showed up in that moment. Sometimes if you're like me, I do all of the work like it depends on me. And I leave little room for Jesus to actually show up and do what it is that he wants to do. Now, I'm a big fan of working hard. I'm 100% all in. I mean, ask my wife. If I get my head wrapped around something, I mean, it's just like, ugh, like simmer. Like, you don't have to be at 110 10 miles an hour all the time. But you also must simultaneously realize that nothing happens because of me. Nothing happens because of you. We are just not that good. So maybe the takeaway point for us all today is to walk away today and wake up tomorrow and say, God, I want to expect you to move in my life. I want to expect you to move in the situation that I am dealing with. Maybe you're here and you have a really specific decision you need to make, or you have a career decision you need to make, or there's a relationship that you need some guidance with, and you've been praying about it, but you haven't been expecting Jesus to answer. Maybe your prayers would start reflecting, God, I know that you hear me, and God, I'm expecting you to give me the answer that you want to give me. And then whatever you say, I will do. And whatever you make clear, I will follow. So how do we live with that expectancy? How do I kind of let Simeon's life be a model for mine? We'll go back to the text and and, and begin to listen to uh, what I like to call the secret sauce here. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. See, what was the secret sauce for Simeon? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on Simeon's life. The Holy Spirit was the one revealing truth to Simeon. The Holy Spirit was at work, and Simeon was being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I can see it in some of your faces right now because some of you are thinking to yourself, but I thought, Pastor Jason, the Holy Spirit didn't come until later. Because I'm familiar with the book of Acts, and the book of Acts tells me that that's when the Holy Spirit came. For those of you who are raised in church, maybe you have familiarity with this story, the the life of Jesus. Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected, and then he ascended back to heaven, and then he started, that he sent out the disciples to be on mission. And some of you may recall, the skies opened, the Holy Spirit descended, descended, and people started speaking in different tongues, and the church takes off. But according to this, the Holy Spirit was working on Simeon when Jesus was just five weeks old. How can that be? Well, see, the Holy Spirit is fully God, just like Jesus is fully God. And the Holy Spirit has been just like Jesus has always been. This is a hard concept for us to understand. I will never forget being in second grade. My Sunday school teachers despised all the questions that I asked. And some of you, and not now, the Lord has blessed me with children that ask questions. And so I remember asking my Sunday school teacher, when was God born? And she would say in the nicest way, you know, God has always been. And it was always at Christmas time that I was, that I was ramped up for the correct question. I said, well, Jesus was born on Christmas, right? And you told me Jesus was fully God, so when was God born? You know, <laughs> mic drop. And she's like, Jason... Jesus has always been. There's never a moment that Jesus has not been. It's mind-blowing for us. Why? Because we have a finite mind, and God operates beyond our finite minds. The Holy Spirit has always been. So the Holy Spirit did not just usher on the scene on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was here working in Simeon's life. And the Holy Spirit works in our life today in many, many ways through other people, through the voice uh, that we see in Scripture, through these writings, through the conscience that God has blessed you with, that leading and showing you the path forward. And when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you begin to expect God to work, don't you? When I listen to myself, I begin to expect me to be the one to do all the work. But when I listen to the Holy Spirit and I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me, I begin to expect God to work. And something happens in our hearts. And it's exactly what happened in Simeon's heart. And you see this up here on the screen. It's only when you allow God to lead your life do you really realize how much you're not in control. Because it would have been easy for Simeon to think that he was the one in charge. But it's only when you allow God to lead your life do you realize how much you are not in control. Look at what it says in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, this is Simeon, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon had this incredible promise. I mean, what an incredible promise that God had given to him. Simeon, you will not die until you see the Messiah, until you see him in person, until you get to be in his presence. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was when this happened. We just assume that he's really old, but it doesn't tell us that. Again, he only gets 13 verses, so we don't get all the backstory. We don't know. I mean, maybe he was 35. I mean, I have him squarely at like 95 plus, but who knows? I mean, we just assume that he is really, really old, but nonetheless, he was given a promise 
God spoke, God gave him a promise, and what is Simeon doing? He is clinging to that promise. This word that I have right here, the one that you have on your phone that you're looking at right now, these words that you see up here on your screen, see, all of these are promises of God to you. These are God's promises for your life. What are some of the promises that we see in here? There's some promises in here that say that God is working everything out according to his plans and purposes. That's good news. There's a promise in here that God says you don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything you can bring those requests to him, and he meets all of those needs. There's a promise in here that God says every day of your life was planned and ordained before a single one of them came to pass. You talk about something that blows your mind, that God knew you were going to be here. God knew the things you were going to struggle with. God knew the full trajectory of your life before it ever came to pass. And when you allow God lead, to lead your life, you begin to realize, I'm not in control. He is in control. And Simeon realized this. But see, it doesn't stop us from thinking that we are in control, though, does it? We need to constantly be reminding ourselves, God, I know that you're in control. I know that you are good. I know that you are working everything out according to your plans and purposes. So how about instead of trying to be in control, we make a commitment today to say, you know what, we're going to build our life on the promises of God and these promises that we see. Now, I remember a hymn from the church that I grew up in. I grew up in a very sweet little church, and the music that we do here at Rolling Hills would have blown the minds, you know, of our little church. And everything that we sang came out of a hymnal. Anybody grow up in a church? If you grew up in church, some of you guys, um, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. There was this book that they had. You put it in the back of the pew, which we don't have either. Uh, these, you know, pews that some of us have in our house for decoration now, you know, it was there. And that's what you would sit in. And there was this hymnal and it was a maroon color and it was filled with songs and notes. And there was a hymn that was probably one of my favorite ones as a kid. And it was called Standing on the Promises of God. And I remember this song so vividly. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I want to read you, not sing you, but I want to read to you a verse from that great hymn, standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And what's inherent in that hymn, that hymn says that the promises of God do not fail. That hymn says storms of life are going to come your way. But that hymn also says you will be victorious. Why? Because of Jesus. You will be victorious, not because of how good you are, not because of how smart you are. You will be victorious because of Jesus. We'll go back to the life of Simeon. Simeon, you will see Jesus before you die. God is working, and he says, this is my promise. You will see Jesus before you die. And what a coincidence that Simeon just happened to be at the temple the day that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus for his dedication. Hmm. Don't you just love those random occurrences? <laughs> what a coincidence that the stars aligned perfectly for this to be the moment. Uh, not a coincidence. God is in control, and we can take truth in that promise as well. God's got your life. He's holding it secure, friends. Maybe you're here, and there's something in your life right now that you think seems out of God's hands, and you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know the decisions that you need to make. Know that God is holding it secure, and his promises can be built upon. His promise that you see in the word can be built up on. So back to the text, verse 28. So Simeon took him, it's Jesus, he took him up in his arms, and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. 
Now, I don't know who started the concept of the bucket list. I don't know where that originated. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give that award to Simeon. He doesn't get more than 13 verses, so we're going to just go ahead and say it started with him because this guy figured it out. He said, I've seen Jesus. And did you catch what he said next? He says to God, you can dismiss your servant in peace. There is nothing else I need to do. There's no other accomplishment that I want. There's nobody else I want to meet. There's no, other, there's no other award that I want to win. There is nothing else that I need except being with God. This little character that we know so little about packs a really big punch. And what he tells us, as you see here on the screen, is that being in the presence of Jesus should be my ultimate goal. Being in the presence of Jesus should be my ultimate goal because nothing else in life really matters. Besides, what do I do with Jesus? And this is hard for some of us to wrap our minds around because what do our lives have? Our lives are full with lots of things. Jobs and careers and responsibilities, families, hopes, dreams, things that you want to accomplish at some point in your life. And all of those things are fine and well, but they are all secondary to knowing Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus. The greatest thing that you and I will ever do and the greatest decision we'll ever make, it's available to us today. And this story gives us some beautiful insight because Simeon, he, he, he's righteous, he's devout, he's patient, but he also knows that what really matters in life is following God's promises, and God's promise is that I will show up and my presence will change everything. And shortly thereafter, Simeon is dismissed in peace, and we don't know exactly how much longer he lived, but he dies. And this is all that we get about his life. But before he does that, before he dismisses with peace, he offers us just a little bit more insight. Go to verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What is Simeon saying? Simeon is saying it's through Christ alone that salvation is available to all. It's through Christ alone that salvation is available to all. This is the best news of all, that salvation is available to all nations. Simeon says this great light has appeared, a light to the Gentiles. This is earth-shattering in the first century because the Jewish population was not even expecting Jesus to come the way that he was, the way that he did. They especially weren't expecting Jesus to come and the Messiah to come and open up a way for Gentiles everyone who wasn't Jewish, to be having that availability for a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Simeon says, you are a light to the Gentiles. This is what Israel has been waiting on. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. And this is good news. And this is why Christmas is such a special time for us to celebrate. Because we celebrate the arrival of this Christ child, fully God, fully man, who lived 33 sinless years, did not sin, but took on the cross, and his blood was shed so that each and every one of us could have life. And Jesus did that for us when we were helpless. He did that for us in a broken state while we were still sinners, according to the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That's when Christ died for us. He didn't die for us in a state of perfection. He died for us when we were completely broken, completely broken. See, Jesus is the answer. He is the fulfillment of everything that we have ever hoped for in our life. But the reality is, we might miss him. Think about all the other religious leaders of the day. Think about everybody else. I mean, Simeon is not the sole guy sitting in the temple. 
I mean, these were a hub of activity in a town like Jerusalem. So it's not like he is the only one who is there. There's so many people in that moment, but they just don't see Jesus and experience his presence like Simeon did. What about the religious leaders of the day? They weren't expecting Jesus to come the way that he did. There were a ton of people in the first century that were being very righteous on the outside, but they missed Jesus because there was no devoutness, so to speak, on the inside. Simeon had it. He was outwardly righteous. He was inwardly devout. He didn't seem to be afraid of waiting. He was trusting in God's sovereignty. He didn't appear to be concerned about how strange it was for everybody to look at him, wondering why is this guy still waiting. He was led by the Holy Spirit, and he saw Jesus, and the world has never been the same. And his life was never the same. So now with less than three weeks until Christmas, let that sink in. With less than three weeks until Christmas, let me ask you a question. Will you see Jesus this Christmas? Only if you're looking. Will you see Jesus this Christmas? You will if you're looking for him. Simeon saw Jesus because he was looking for him. He was expecting him. Will you see Jesus this Christmas? Only if you are looking. Because see, with the hustle and bustle of everything, it's really easy to miss him. With the concern about buying the perfect gift and running to this and running to that. And, you know, I've got Grinch Day and Santa Day and PJ Day and all of the things that your kids' schedules necessitate. All of those things with the hustle and bustle of everything, it's so easy to miss him. Or maybe we miss him because Jesus is kind of unpopular in culture right now. And so it's easy to be ashamed of him. And to say, no, that's the promise of God that I'm standing upon. That's who has changed everything in my life. Or maybe we've just become so busy where it's really easy to look over him. And I just kind of try to fit Jesus in wherever I have a little bit of extra spare time in my day. And Jesus says, no, I have something different. Or perhaps for some of us, we've become so smart that we don't even need Jesus anymore. Because we've got it together. And we're holding it all together. And I hope and pray that none of those aforementioned statements reflects where we are this morning, but that we would say, I want to go from this place, understanding who Jesus is and the promise that his presence changes everything. So let's commit this morning to be righteous, to be devout, to be patient, and to realize that it's the presence of Jesus that I'm pursuing. It's the presence of Jesus that changes everything. The presence of Jesus is the hope of the world. God's invited us into that relationship. Let's celebrate that this morning, and let's go out of these doors and proclaim that to those that we come in contact with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. We're so thankful for who you are. God, you are so good to us, and we're grateful for just your presence in this place. I thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you are close to us. So God, we're just um, excited about what you're doing and pray that in and through all things that we would just seek to bring you honor and glory and that this Christmas we would see you, that we wouldn't get lost in the hustle and bustle of everything, but we would seek to live with righteousness and to be devout and to be patient and above all, God, to just expect you to show up in incredible ways this day. We're thankful again, God, for who you are. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. 
If you want to learn about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and the ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.